You're listening to the Difference Maker Series on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast presented by The Difference USA. The problem, when looking at today's football players, regardless of age, weight, or type of football program, consistent and powerful hand placement, striking technique, are key to maximizing the athlete's potential. However, there is no specific athletic equipment that is not only specialized, but cost-effective to allow athletes to hone their hand placement and striking techniques. Even for young athletes, there is no equipment designed specifically to be used to build proper hand placement, striking techniques, which is critical to more advanced play in high school and even college. The solution. The difference is a portable hand placement striking machine able to be used by athletes of all ages and sports to optimize their performance. Developed in the weight room of Ohio State football, the difference can be utilized all year with a variety of physiological benefits. Designed with flexibility in mind, the difference is able to adapt to most square, rectangle, and round structures. Custom attachments are available for a variety of weight racks. Check the show notes for more info, and we'll talk about this more at the end of the podcast. In warm-ups, I promise you I'm standing beside the guys and yelling at them on a false step, or I'm just trying to challenge their mind, free access out, free, free access curl, free access out. Like, all they have to do is put themselves in that spot and they're getting a rep, versus just lining up my foot in the ground to get warmed up because it's warm-ups. Huge different mindset change. I think that, again, is that more on the coach? Absolutely, but I don't know. I just It's just always on my head that I, I think I just, I think that way all the time. So. I think a lot of those things are the reason why I was probably a decent player. And I'm just trying to constantly tell them what I would think about. On today's coaching coordinator podcast, I'm joined by two former Ohio State Buckeyes, Anthony Schlegel and Brian Hartline. Brian is the current wide receiver coach and pass game coordinator at Ohio State. And we're going to talk about ball and coaching and get some insight into what the Buckeyes are doing. So, Guys, it's great to have you here today. Anthony, thanks for joining me again. Absolutely. And Brian, thanks for joining me the first time. I've heard quite a bit about you through Keenan Bailey, who I talk to often. Do you? Okay. What's, what's the connection with Key, man? I had Key come out and speak at USA Football's National Conference a few years ago when I was working nice. with USA Football. And, you know, we've stayed connected ever since then. What a great dude, man. That's a good person to be connected with. I mean, so Absolutely. a lot of respect for Key. So Coach Hartline, let's start this conversation off with learning a little bit more about that transition from your career in the NFL to being a coach. You went from playing to being, you know, getting your start with Ohio State as an analyst. What was your thoughts behind, hey, I'm going to, I'm going to go into coaching right away. So there wasn't a thought. It actually just kind of happened. So to make a long story short, basically I was living in Columbus. My brother was back with Coach Meyer. Schlage was probably around at the time. And there was a fad going on where former guys were coming back and, and running scout team, essentially, you know, going to the bowl game. And Mike invited me back, my brother. And uh, I told him no, then told him yes. And then, you know, I think Coach Giano kind of got wind of just kind of me being me. And as I was a player, I was always, a, I was always coaching, I think, unbeknownst to myself uh, while I was playing. My guys around me, I just... 
I couldn't keep my mouth shut. I'm, I'm kind of opinion, pretty opinionated. So when there was opportunities to coach somebody beside me, uh, I kind of just let it come out. So I would say uh, I was doing that while I was there. Coach Gianna got wind of it. I think he passed it on to Coach Meyer, like, hey, you should look in, you know, higher in heart. He actually reached out and asked me. I said no the first time in December. And then after about two or three months came spring ball, coach reached back out and we are somehow we got connected and I, I couldn't say no the second time. I think it was kind of God's way of, of letting me know, you know, I had nothing else going on. Batteries were recharged and uh, I wanted to kind of explore maybe this other journey that a higher power might've had for me. So I uh, got started, haven't left. What happened when, during that time? Because I tell people this a lot of times, Two former players here. I'm 41. You're a little bit younger than me, but it take there's a there's a huge transition between getting done playing, whether it's in college, high school, or even the pros, where you're like, what is what am I going to go be elite at next? What's the next mission? Because we're all very mission oriented. How did it turn out for you? Like, what really said, like, you know what, this is what I got to do? Because yes, just so everybody knows, Brian Hardline was a player coach. That's what allowed him to play seven years in the NFL. He's a guy that people always wanted in the room and in the locker room because he's going to be a coach on the field while a guy is going out there and they're calling plays. Like he can make self-adjustments with his unit on the sideline, right? And he did that at Ohio State. He did in the NFL. But for you, when you made that and you jumped back in, what really got your attention as to, you know what, this is where I really want to make my next career? So I, I don't think it really hit me until I got around the guys that were in the room. To me, it was as simple as that. It was, you know, I didn't have a whole lot going on. The batteries did get recharged, you know, through that fall. And when given the second opportunity, the first opportunity, I was kind of like feeling things out and know what I wanted to do. By that time in March, I didn't really have anything else going on. So to me, to say no without a good reason didn't make sense. I think at the yeah. time, the first time I said no for a good reason, because that's where my heart was. Second time, I didn't have a good reason. So when I did that, again, it was probably two weeks in the spring ball. Terry McLaurin, Paris Campbell, Coach Smith was, oh, you know, came with open arms and was awesome too. So like yep. really, you know, it was just a combination that I fell in love. And frankly, I told Coach Meyer, I don't know what's going to happen after this year, but I'll give you to January 1 and then we'll talk after that. You know, that was really the stage. It wasn't like I was fully in. I was in for that year. And like I said, I never, uh, I never kind of left. So by my second year, things, how they fell, I got an opportunity, you know, to take over the room before my second fall and been there since. Brian, I want to take a step back with, with something you said here and, and something Anthony said of being that player coach. And when I, when I coached at Baldwin-Wallace, I got things to the point for me that I was very comfortable with my players being able to give suggestions to not this be a top-down approach for you in, in being in the different environments you've been in? What set you up to be able to take on that kind of a role? Because I always say, you know, if you could teach it, you're going to be able to do it very well, right? You, your guys who are out there just running the lines but really don't understand aren't as good as the guys who really know everything that's going on within that play. You know, I don't have a great answer for you, to be honest. I mean, I think you know, I've been surrounded by so many great people, I think, in my past. I think there was, you know, from coaches to even players to just, I don't know, talking it for so long. You know, I don't know. We always kind of made a joke. Like, as a player, you know, we feel like for every one year, it's like three years as a coach. You know, I don't know. Like, we always used to kid around as players. And it was like, yeah, you know, for me, 
I don't know. I don't, I'm, not, I'm not trying to minimize the coaching side of it either because I know what kind of work goes into that and the learning curve there was when I showed up. But I think Schlage and you, Keith, you know, you know, the way we applied ourselves as athletes, we can easily apply that. I mean, not easily, but we we're able to apply that to our next passion. As mm-hmm. long as it's a passion, we'll find a way to be the best at it, I think. I, I feel that way. As far as, you know, receiver play and, and, and seeing the imaginary lines and reading body language and all those things that, the details which make us successful. I don't know. I don't know where I learned all of it. I think it was really by osmosis, like I said, being around other people and surrounding myself with great players and and then, you know, being able to learn from them organically and, and being, you know, pretty, uh, you know, judgmental on myself and pretty honest with myself on what kind of player I was, I think was a big part. I think that, you know, again, Schlegs, I've never been around a, you know, a great player that was dumb. And, I, and I've said that before, like any of the great players you've talked to, they can talk it and they can see it and they can communicate it. And I think that, you know, being around a lot of those great players, I, again, I absorbed that. And it's been a, just a great journey. You know, frankly, coaching has a lot to do with sales. And I think your ability to communicate the information at hand to, you know, reiterate the improvements your players are making, selling them on why they should trust you and why they should do these drills is, is paramount. And I think I got a lot from my, from my dad. My dad had the gift of gab and he was, uh, you know, a healing coin salesman. And I think there's a lot of correlation to that. And at the very end of it all, it comes down to relationships. And if you're passionate about the young men you're coaching, you'll find a way to communicate that information. And I think you put all that in a bowl and stir it up. That's a lot of maybe the things that I'm, you know, I feel strongly about. Man. You're so right. And that's probably why so many, and you, you've seen this, Brian, NFL high profile colleges look at businesses and how they're ran. And, and, and then businesses are looking at high level programs and how they're ran. And it's really, there's a lot of synergies there because it is sales. Like I, that's why I went back and did my MBA because that's, that was the next level, right? Mickey Marotti, he's basically the chief operating officer of Ohio State football. He touches the guys all the time, but yet he's also selling his program. He's marketing his program. You're marketing to recruits, right? You have to market to the guys that are in the room once you have them there, and you have to be able to speak in a little bit, but it's also who you are, and you got it from your dad, and it's also how you were as a player, so then it correlates to how you are as a coach. So off that, though, I want to, because you and I have been very fortunate but you've, but you've worked for somebody that I have, and that's Ryan Day. So you, you were coached by Jim Trestle. You worked with Urban Meyer. You worked with Ryan. You work now currently with Ryan Day. You're in the NFL for seven years. Is there like a nugget from one of them or a story from one of them that really resonated and impacted you along this journey as a coach and player? There's a couple, you know, and they're not necessarily just gen- and they're not always stories, but they are, they are a couple. But it's more even the feeling that each one gives you, you know. And I don't. That's not maybe palpable in certain ways for certain people, but for it is for me. Coach Tress, you know, I'll tell you a quick story, and this kind of summed him up. I'll never forget when I was in college, and I ended up I was dating somebody at the time, and I on a spring game I was able after the picnic was able to introduce Coach Tress to her father. And he walked up to Coach Tress and said something along the lines of, he's not going to remember me, you know, and he stopped him and he looked at him square and he pulled his name out and the guy was blown away. And he said, 
he goes, yeah, yeah, you know, that, that function at Maslin and I was there and it was a, it was a charity fundraiser I met and he would, to this day, he can't believe it. And to me, I can't believe it. So I remember <laughs> asking, I remember asking coach day or coach, day, coach Tress, excuse me, coach, how, like, how could you have possibly remembered him back, you know, 10 years ago, whenever that was. And he goes, heart, he goes, the moment you start putting other people's importance in front of your own, you'll remember them too. And I was like, that was like a whole other level of like not being able to digest. Like literally somebody he just met, he felt like they're, you know, they were more important than himself. And he's a server of people. That's just stress. And I think that to me, that always resonated. I will never, and I adamantly will admit, I will never <laughs> be able to match, match that in any kind of capacity when it comes to remembering names. But that just speaks on the volumes of the person Coach Trust was. And I think that yep. I remember that all of that and i have other ones too but that one really resonates with me coach meyer i really just sitting back and watching the way he operated and the way he was able to motivate those that he was responsible for from a coaching perspective really resonated with me and i think that again there's not one particular story per se but you know he did everything with a purpose i think and at the end of the day you'd be like there's no way he's doing it on purpose he's just crazy no, no, no. It was, <laughs> it, it was purpose-filled and he had a reason behind it. And I think that, you know, whether you like it, whether you like the reason or not, it's a whole other conversation or whether you like the way he did it, it's a whole other conversation, but he always did things with purpose. And I can resonate with that. And I think with coach day, he's the blend of both. He really is, you know? And I think that his relatability is uh, second to none. The environment in our building is second to none. The family environment is palpable. You'd feel it when you walk around. Give yourself 30 minutes and you'll know what I'm talking about. So it's a little different, you know, but I think the biggest thing I think with Coach Day that I really, you know, have taken from him is just his calm. Like, I, I got a feeling in his head, there's like, you know, crazy conversation going on or screaming in his head. But what comes out is so calm, so collected, well thought out. And when, when in doubt, say less, it just feels like, and I feel like I've really taken that from him, but the, even the conversations with like Tony Sperano, Bill Parcells, like in Miami, like there, there's just so many great people I've been around Joe Philbin and, and the coordinators and, and Zach Taylor's being in Miami at the time and Dan Campbell, a tight end coach. And so I've been just fortunate. Like you said, we've both been very fortunate to be around elite individuals. And if you can't, you know, take something from each person as you meet them, well, then shame on you, right? So. Yep. Awesome. Brian, when you're looking at leading your room and, I mean, you've got some incredible athletes in there. I'm sure there's a, a lot of alphas in that room. Those guys want the ball. There's, you know, you have to keep them working as a team for you. How do you manage all of that and really lead that room, lead that group so that and you guys are incredible, you know, three All-Americans to, to just do what you're doing on the field to get that kind of production. You know, I think that when you're too worried about selling a narrative, things can get haywire. You know, I think that at the end of the day, just be honest and have honest conversation. Go into conversations knowing that I don't know it all, but like I want to help. And I think at the end of the day, you know, it comes very genuine and it becomes more of a conversation. And I think that coupled with, you know, the vision of where it can be and where I can go and the success I can still have and, and just being able to learn how to balance both, I think is really important. I think, 
you know, when you go into conversation self-driven for you to, you know, for it to work for you and not to work for both, there's probably going to be an issue. I don't know. I think that one, one conversation that, I'm, that although I'm, I, you know, I feel both ways on, I'm going to be honest with you guys is, is that always, always reminiscing the conversation I always had with Jameson, you know, and like, and we went into that conversation after spring and I was very genuine. I, and everything I said, I meant and like, to this day, I love him more than anything. And, and when, by doing that, I really believe everybody won. Like, you know, between being, you know, Jackson stepping in the role that I knew he was ready for to Jameson doing an f- amazing job at Alabama. Like I think, and then Chris and Garrison doing what they did. I think if I went in and tried to spin a narrative and it, I just feel like it could have blown up, you know, it could have went back into the room and, and it, I don't know. I think and when you're just genuine, you truly care about the athlete and maximizing himself, both as an athlete, as a person, like the best of it will come out. And so I, I, I really reflect on that conversation and I'm proud of how that, that kind of was handled, although hard, there's no doubt, but like so proud of that whole conversation, how everything transpired. Again, I think at the, at the root of all things, right. If, you know, if you want to be a great coach, it comes down to the relationship, you know, or, or I should say even trust, right. And, and, and Slakes knows this three, three pillars of trust, connection, competence, and, uh, uh, and con- uh, connection, competence, and uh, competence, and uh, um, help me out, Schlegs. Was it commitment? No. Connection, I, con- no. connection, connection uh, competence. Competence. Right. There is three. And uh, character. All yeah, right. right. Character, competence, and connection. And if you have all three of those, that's really important, right? And I think that whether it is, you know, trying to maximize a student athlete or just having conversations about them being quote unquote staying and not leaving. I think all of that's really, really important. Right. And and again, we go through that trust factor, which we don't need to, but all those are so critical, you know, your connection, your character and your competence. If you lack in one, there's a good chance there's going to be an issue. So uh, I focus on that. And I think at the end of the day, man, like I'm in the room I played for, like I, there's nothing more I care about. Like, this isn't a job to me. This is like a passion. And I think if you just keep things, you know, rightly motivated, the right outcome will suffice, will come out. I totally agree with you. I can see the conversation in my mind, though I wasn't even in there, about what transpired. And you're absolutely right. If you tried to spin it and manipulate to the narrative that you wanted in the room solely for the fact that you were keeping everybody there and it necessarily wasn't in the best interest of one of them, it would have completely blown up the room. And you wouldn't have the production the production from all of them would be limited twenty five percent. It's really easy. I mean, all I do is say, "Listen, you're the starter. Don't worry about it." Oh, hey, in the camp. Hey, by the way, you're not. Oh, you can't transfer. Like, I didn't have to be honest in the spring, right? I didn't have to. Like any other coach could have just held the narrative tight, made made, made tight until that that uh, that transfer deadline came, and then we went down the road. And I don't. I just don't think that's the right thing to do things. And I think that, like I said, at the end of the day, everyone won. Our room, yeah. I mean, everyone, every family, it was the best possible outcome because of the honesty that transpired. And that goes back to your character and the connection that you have with them. Because the confidence is you doing your job. And I think that's also why you're able to recruit at such a high level is because of your competence, 
right, at that position, having played in the NFL, having played at Ohio State, and then also being able to teach it and the proof of it from the guys that are being drafted, that's the competence. We're at the point now where you're right. It's like the proof. Like, okay, it sounds good for the first couple of years. But after that, it's kind of like being a head coach. Listen, I'll hire you as a head coach. But after about year three or four, it's kind of like, hey, either, either, <laughs> either, we're, either we're using the toilet or we're getting off the pot. Like, what are we doing here? You know? So, right. you know, I think I think you're right. And I guess at the end of the day, too, what I, I don't really know is, like, recruiting at a high level, whatever that would be. I would say it's more the identification and building of a room than it is recruiting. But, like, to me, you know, why? I don't know. You should ask them. I don't know maybe why we either sound different, feel different. There's something there that happens with Coach Day and his staff and our offense and myself and Coach Keenan and, Coach, you know, everyone that helps. You know, it, um, it, it takes a village, right? You know that, Schlage. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, the amount of time uh, Coach McMurray and his staff spends it with recruits is not just me. They spend their time too. So there's a, there's a lot that goes into it. I'm going to ask you this, and then, and then Keith hit him with, with something, because you got me going on this. And one, sports performance, big, right? That was my background, strength conditioning coach. So now I want to talk about in-season, because Keith and I were having a conversation about this even prior to just training philosophies and, and, and kids. But everybody wants to go get theirs, right? Like, hey, I'm the wide receiver coach. I got to work on these routes hey, we really got to get our go ball timing down with our quarterbacks. And for you guys, it could be on a, a Tuesday or Wednesday, probably a Wednesday. And then you have your Thursday practice. How do you keep your guys fresh so that they can go play so that you can get yours and you know that they're, they're doing what they need to do, but also mitigate that to where they're not playing. This is what a lot of people do three games throughout the week, right? Because you have a game on Saturday, but you don't need to blow them out on the Tuesday and Wednesday or the Thursday before their Friday then to go play on Saturday. So how do you handle that along with talking with Coach Mick about where the guys are, you know, throughout the week? Well, I think there – I have a long way to answer. I think, first of all, I don't ever want to lose this. I don't think I have. I know both sides, and I think you do too. We practice for the coaches. We practice to make ourselves feel better. Like, mm -hmm. in my opinion, we've never done more. So I agree. Once you get to the season, you got to be really careful. You know, it feels good for the coach to see the go ball completed. Okay. What if it isn't? You're trying to tell me we can't throw that same ball, even though we've done it thousands of times throughout the course of 365 days? Absolutely, we can. We have high-end athletes. So, I would say it's more from a execution standpoint and understanding standpoint than it is from a, a wearing guys out standpoint. So what I mean is, is that you definitely have a cutoff on go balls. Like you definitely want to make sure you get that done by Tuesday, maybe Wednesday at, at best. And then that's it. You know, if the quarterback needs you to spot up and finish a throw down the field, later in practice, that's on them, frankly. And I think that our guys have done a great job, we, us trusting them, with any a little extra work they get after practice. And I make sure that during practice, one, I know where the ball is going. So if the ball is not going to a certain spot, I'll kill the receiver or send them down there on a nice jaw to clear out the DB or whatever from a scout perspective. I would say just knowing the tempo of the, of the period. If we're out there competing against the defense, Hey man, we're competing. This is one, this is good on good right now. We got to go. This is where we're getting our, our iron sharpens iron. If it's a scout period. And again, I, I see the coverage. I know where the ball should be going. 
you know, I'm going to go ahead and make sure my deep receiver is going to clear out that route at a slow pace to take nothing out of his legs. Right. Uh, we are tracking throughout the week more than ever last year that coach Marotti would kill my guys uh, being that they're done practicing for the week. So it might be a mid, uh, three quarters of the day on, on Wednesday and they're done practicing. So that is what it is. So I think that's really important. I think at the end of the day, too, on, on our Wednesday schedule, usually we're finishing that day with red zone, short yardage and goal line, and things like that. So we're able to kill them on the, towards the end of practice. And I say kill them in the right, most political correct way. You know, so all that goes to my mind. I guess at the end of the day, for me as a coach, you know, we really put an emphasis. We've done more and more of it on run-throughs, on really being pros. And we know what that entails, legs like – run-throughs, meeting time, really capitalizing on that slow-paced stuff either on Thursdays or Fridays to make sure we feel good about it by Saturday. It doesn't always have to be that time on Tuesday or Wednesday to blow those guys out. Now, we definitely want to go hard and make it a bloody Tuesday. That's still definitely the case. But by Wednesday, I'm being mindful of what's going on. And definitely by Thursday, again, a full scout period, perfect Thursdays as we call it, I will make sure that if there's a deep route and it's not a live ball based on coverage, I will make sure to try to mitigate that receiver's legs or that, or that yep. receiver's legs. And, I, and, the, and the thing that I want the, the coaches that are listening to understand is that you are intentional and mindful about what you're trying to accomplish. 100%. Because there might, there might be a time where, you know what, those guys, yeah, I want to get them to work at the top of this route. Well, guess what you're going to work on? the top of the route. They're not going to run the 15 yards to get to the top. Right. They're going to work on the top of the route and they're going to do it really, really hard and fast. But that's what I'm working on. But that just eliminated 15 yards of high speed distance that they're running. So you can still get what you got to get, but you're going to be intentional and mindful because ultimately at the end of the day, it's about winning football games and you win them on Saturday. You can definitely lose them on a Wednesday or a Thursday because they're not capable to go out there and perform on a Saturday. So that's awesome that you guys do that. But that's your trust with Mick yep. and Mick's trust with you to go do your job for what? Ultimately, the athlete. But frankly, I think at the end of the day, too, there's, there's an overall feeling. I am responsible for my guys. If my guys get hurt, that's on me. It's not on them. It's on me. So with that mindset, you know, and again, some people might – I remember Coach Hazel used to tell me, again, you talk about coaches that have been around, and I think the world of Coach Hazel, your A players must get A's. Your best players must be available. You're, so your A players must get A's. If they're getting an A, yeah, they're, they're getting back the information on game day that I gave them. It's my job to make sure my A players get A's. It's my job to make sure my A players are at the game, you know, or whoever's playing. That's the saying. So, you know, again, it's not being like, oh, he hurt himself because shame on him. He didn't hydrate. He didn't stretch. He, no, I make sure he's hydrate. I make sure he stretches. I make sure he's healthy. And if you have that accountability from a coaching staff perspective, that mindset change is really critical. And I think at the end of the day, when it, land, when it lands on that individual and not the masses, you probably have more alignment. Yep. In that regard, I have been able to come out and watch you guys practice at spring ball and, and things like that. I mean, your, your practices overall model of efficiency, but watching your guys, it is very intentional in what you're trying to do. I know, he talked a little bit about the practice swing mentality that you guys use, but talk to us a little bit about just your thought process and going, especially in season, going into how you're going to design 
those periods. Guys talk about everyday drills. Is it everyday drills? How, how are you looking at that overall and how you want to create those individual periods? Yeah, I would say that, well, first of all, having a pulse on your group, what's your guys need and being very, you know, uh, alert to the drill tape. The drill tape will tell you what you need to work on. You know, you just got to be receptive to it and take notes and, and really scheme your individual period for it. Now, that being said, you can find individual period all day long in practice. Like if I'm in a team period and I knew my man slipped on a speed cut, like I bet you he's hearing it from behind me. Hey, clean it up. Remember when you slipped? And then, so to me, you know, I, I'm a very like, and I, I say this very loosely, but I can't emphasize this enough. I am a mindset driven individual. Like if my mind, it's like, I don't know how to describe it. Like if, okay, Schlegs. Okay, I have this one drill and I have to do it, Keith, to the best of my ability. It has to be a teach tape or the one dearest to me dots. What kind of like, a, what kind of attention to detail would you have? And right. so, you know, if I'm, if I'm, I'm in a stretch line and I have to touch the grass because Coach Marotti told me to, and I don't touch this grass, my, my mom's going to die. Like, I know I'm being crazy on the, on the but that, that literally changes your mindset. Well, why can't we operate at a peak mindset all the time? So when I'm barking at guys prior to a rep and like I'm trying to maximize the rep and I can change their mindset, then if the mindset changes, the action changes. Actions and movements are only a direct relation to the mindset. So you never attack the action, you attack the mindset. If you attack the mindset, the action's always fixed. And that's always been my approach. So uh, in my opinion, again, again, I say that because you can find opportunities to change the mindset for a quote unquote an individual rep all along practice, all through practice. It's up to you as a coach to make sure you're alert to it. Secondly, you're very intentional. And I think our individual represents what we're going to see. If you're playing Ohio State, to be frank, you know, the amount of press coverage I'm, I'm looking at all the time. So if we're not getting press, Guess what? We're not going to spend a lot of time on releases. Like that's just that's just makes sense. But what we do every single time we run a rep or a route, a top end. So every single day we're going to spend time on the top end. We're going to spend time getting our feet in the ground, being violent, dropping our hips. We're going to do all those kind of things. We have an opportunity in our warm up to always work stance and start. Because guess what? We do that every single time we we warm up and every time we come off the ball. So we do that eighty times a game. So I don't spend a lot of time on that because we're getting that there. But in warmups, I promise you I'm standing beside the guys and yelling at them on a false step, or I'm just trying to challenge their mind, free access out, free, free access curl, free access out. Like all they have to do is put themselves in that spot and they're getting a rep versus just lining up my foot in the ground to get warmed up because it's warmups. Huge different mindset change. I think that, again, is that more on the coach? Absolutely. But I don't know. I just, it's just always on my head that I, I think I just, I think that way all the time. So I think a lot of those things are the reason why I was probably a decent player and I'm just trying to constantly tell them what I would think about. And so maybe it just kind of seeps into them, even a little bit of time. Again, they're not listening to me unless the trust is right. And I think that's a part of it going backwards. Like we talked about. So um, I know it's kind of a long winded answer, but that's a lot of my, my individual will represent uh, what we're going to see. We're going to spend time, on approaching a block because nobody loses in a block unless they know how to approach it. So as a receiver, you know, understanding that leverage is advantage. I'm either going to go get advantage or I'm going to keep advantage. I need to learn how to do that. I need to know where my runs hit. I need to know how to go speed to power. 
and to be able to maintain advantage and step with proper side foot leverage and engage without losing the block before it even started. And, and all those things we just can't take for granted. So every day, Keith, to answer your question, top end work, you know, I would like to say blocking work, but it's really the approach to the block is really critical, putting myself in position and then, and then kind of working from there. You know, once we get routes on air, that's like my favorite route of the day, because as soon as I get free access, it's routes on air. I mean, that's really how our mind, that's how our mindsets change. We don't go out there and run routes on air. It's literally a team period because as soon as we get free access, as Coach Hart tells me, I'm running this thing on, on free access and cover three, here's my team period. And so, again, I just really try to focus on the mindset within each action or a drill, and then I know the action will be the, uh, the response to that, if that makes sense. Man, you, said you dropped so many nuggets in there. So just so everybody knows, like every dynamic warm-up we work on starts at Ohio State. What was your coaching cue for your start? You know, for just no false start, no no false steps. Yeah, no false steps. Time. But then, right. then I put, I, I would just bark around out to free access. Oh, you bark at like so more, more times than not, legs. What it's a it's a burst through ten. I mean, that's yeah. like every route almost, right? So like you know, understanding you know, even when we run routes. I know I'm now I'm going on and on, but it was a race. It's a race. It's a race. I'm not racing. I'm not racing the corner. I'm racing the D line. The D line is going to kill my quarterback. It's a race. I don't have enough time. So. It's just always understanding that, and again, I, I use all these analogies and all kinds of parts of the game we, that we can talk about, but that's a good example of maximizing a warm-up because it's not just a warm-up. Yeah. It's, it's my season now, every round. But you just, but what you said was, I'm not going to necessarily work on that in another period. It's like you just maximize your time, right? So I use the warm-up that we do to work on my start, no fall step, free access, right? And like I was down here, with the Jags and, and our wide receiver coach wanted three steps and five yards. So we worked on that right in the off season. Then when we did warmups, but now you don't have to go back and like, Hey, we got to work on our starts again. Cause you already did it. So I'm not trying to reinvent the wheel. We already, we already got it done. And I'm preaching that mindset to every single time they have a free access. Like that's what they're doing. You know, I mean, obviously like I'm all about hand striking and stuff. I'm watching your guys block and you're talking about speed to power. Something else that we do in our warmups, something else that, Ohio State does in the offseason program. How important is it for your wide receivers to be physical blockers, especially when you're watching film of them in high school? Like just that mindset. Because I remember Terry, a ferocious blocker, right? Yeah. Um, I think that the ferociousness is, you know, based on, you know, your strengths. And I was not a ferocious blocker. Two things I would do I would put myself in really good position. Because in my mind, you know, like my guy doesn't make the tackle. I will. Like as simplest as that. Now, when there was opportunities to push crack somebody and make sure they knew I was there, sure, I was down for it. You know what I mean? And that's fine. And but ferociousness is more about the consistency of execution. Like just just yeah. knowing my guy is going to be eliminated is critical. Not only my guy, but then the right guy. So I think that's, that's twofold. But like I said, like the best block, like you don't win with your hands. You finish with your hands. You win with your feet. Yeah. You win everything's with your feet. So understanding what six inches does to the inside or the outside to, to operate. Like I say, or we like to say leverage is advantage. Like being down, down the midline, like you're, you're not giving, you're not giving yourself an advantage. You're always, you need to make sure you're operating on a pad and 
you know, to me, I think that it's really important to just understand the schematic side of football, put yourself in great position, and then using your hands to finish blocks, not necessarily be like the ferociousness is just the consistency level. You know what I mean? And yeah, I just for sure. And maybe that's because, you know, frankly, I just put myself in that spot. Now, when you're a Terry McLaurin, when you're a Julian Fleming and Jackson's a ball, I mean, all my guys, Marvin Mecca, like JB, uh, you know, Cam Bab, you know, just Xavier, they're all does a good job because Mick Marotti has turned these guys into just specimen individuals that like, I just try to teach them how to be in great position and the rest takes care of itself. You know, like once you have advantage and you run your feet and you're able to protect the run side shoulder and you can just run your feet to finish, that's when things get scary. I agree with you. But I, I yep. think to what you're hitting at though, you know, just saying, hey, go block that guy. It's amazing how guys don't realize how to go speed to power, transition from a speed movement to a power movement to either create contact or move laterally, but also by doing that, not getting themselves out of position. Because once you're out of position, you lose. Because typically that's where the hold comes or you're defeated. Because why? I lost my advantage. I lost leverage. And that can change in a snap. And I think uh, not taking that for granted is really critical. There's a, a couple things want to touch on I love that idea of the mindset really coaching them before the rep I mean a lot of guys can see what's wrong and coach them after the rep but it's kind of preemptive right you're putting them in the mindset so that they do it the right way rather than you having to fix it on the back and you still can right. you can still pick out those things and looking at your processes and you guys film everything so going back through what are you going to do with all that tape Practice tape, game tape, how are you evaluating? And what do you give back to the players, right? Yep. What's the so, on? yeah, that's, that's really good. So, like, but you, you hit on it. You're like, yeah, it's good to correct after the fact. But when I do correct, my first question was, okay, pre-snap, what are you thinking? And they're like, uh, honestly, coach, I don't know. I'm like, okay, that's fine. So let's start there. Like, we need to make sure, you know, Plays over, playback, got it. What's my route? Cool. Uh, hand curl, hash plus two, depth of 12. Okay, did that all happen fast enough? If not, you're just rolling the dice, brother. And and then once we go from there, they all know that, okay, my hook or my curl versus free access is a five-step punch on my fifth. It puts me at 10. My transition for a punch one, two puts me to 12. I know versus free access, when I get this signal, I have to be hash plus two with a five-step vertical punch. Like, that's where their mind should be. And if they have their mindset that clean, their ability to be consistent, which we know consistency is your best indicator for greatness. You're only as good based on your consistency. So the more consistent I am, the better I am. So we just try to stay in that mindset. And, and, and frankly, you know, when they, they do something wrong, I still ask, dude, why'd you do that? And not to be a, a dick, but like to see if I can fix the mindset. Because if I fix the mindset, we know I fix the action. So if they're not talking to themselves, it's a six-step speed cut, and they went four, I'm like, why'd it go four? Guys, what, what should you be thinking about? Like, that to me, that's a lack of concentration, not lack of ability. So I will always err on the side of mental mistakes or lack of mental preparation or lack of mental mindset versus the action. Like, if they're not using their hands and clearing their hands, they're not thinking about it before the snap shame on you, you know? And so to me, you know, the mechanics through a top end, that's on me. I'll make sure to teach you that, but everything pre-snaps on you. And if you can't, you know, talk it, it's going to be really hard to deliver it. So 
Now, do we know other guys that have great savviness to play ball? Sure. You know, and I don't want to coach guys out of that. And frankly, that's a whole other conversation on making sure you don't coach the, the ball out of guys. But we really spend a lot of time on the mindset pre-snap. So we're watching film. I have a go ball. Okay, where's your catch point? What's your landmark? What am I trying to get accomplished? When my eyes coming around, I look at 10 or I look at 15. They have to have all that spit back to me clean enough. If not, mentally, they're too slow. There's no way they're going to be able to apply. Or they're just ballers. And then the consistency level is 50-50. I'm trying to get 60-40. I mean, that's what we're trying to always accomplish. So, you know, that's what you're going to be catching the ball and making sure if I'm, you know, routes on air, I track the ball, take two steps, look at it, look at the tuck. Like, are we doing that in our drill work? We should be thinking about that beforehand. So when we're watching either individual or watching teams, we spend a lot of time, even then on the mindset, we spend a lot of time then, you know, spending on, you know, okay, the DB, what's the DB feeling here? So again, DB is a reactionary position. So he's jumping my route. Why? Anything he does is your fault because you tell him what to do. So if you change your mindset on what you want to get done from a reactionary player, then maybe your body language changes. And so, so that's a conversation that can be long, you know? And, and so we spend time on really fixing mindset because I think mindset fixes actions. Obviously effort is an easy one to attack because there's no, there's no, you know, I don't got any time for that lack of effort that rarely shows up to be honest. And again, that's probably lack of what mindset. So yep. we make sure we watch everything. We make sure that, uh, you know, we even spend time sending things post-practice. I'm sending them clips that night before I leave the building because I want them to see it at least twice. They will see it individually, but they will see it in front of their peers because peer pressure is the best motivator and they will see it. And, uh, you know, I think that all of that's really important. Um, I'm trying to make sure I, I answered that thoroughly enough for you. No, yeah. You did awesome, man. I, I Off of that, so I remember Coach Meyer talked about greatness is the accumulation of great days, which is what you just talked about, consistency. But then you started telling me about the mindset and, like, what they're looking at pre-snap. Because that, because if you don't know what you're doing pre-snap, like you said, you're rolling the dice. And, and I'm very old school in my manner because I remember when I played, it was always alignment, assignment, adjustments, and alerts. Like, that's how I went through it, right? If we had field eight. What did I write down? Well, what's my alignment? I, I'm in a 30. What's my assignment? I got this gap or I got, you know, I got three and I'm pushing if he goes out or I'm going to pack it back where my down safety is, et cetera, et cetera. What are my adjustments that I have to make off that, right? If the guy motioning in, is he wide? What am I going to do? Is it one back, one gap, right? And then what are my alerts based on formation? But that's on a defensive player. Is there anything that you do to help these guys learn just that ball pre-snap that you give that you give them? I think, you know, I wish I had a great answer for you, but I think it's just an overtime issue. I mean, I think we spent a lot of time preparing and grabbing old scripts and getting on the field when we can and going through the whole mechanics of it, not actually running. No need to run. Everything's right. is one and lost preset. So what we will say though, is like, you know, we're running routes, you know, it's alignment, break point, catch point. And they know that alignments change, break points really do and catch points. never. Exactly. So like, so we always have that and we always work back. Like, so they're empowered understanding from a route perspective that all separate separations always want for break point to catch point. Nothing matters from alignment to break point because that's just your stem. You position defenders and then you put your foot in the ground and then you create separation late because I'm not catching the ball early. I'm catching it late. So we, we talk about all those, those plans. 
but it's definitely a pre-snap plan, post-snap execution. And they always talk about, we always talk about the best receivers are the best problem solvers. So, you know, we, we align and we think pre-snap, but post-snap we confirm and post-snap we execute and post-snap we fix. So the best problem solvers are the best receivers. I know this was the plan, then this happened. So, you know, I'd like to say there's things I do specifically to prepare them for that, but I just think it's a constant day in and day out battle to where they learn at their own rate. And if I can get them there faster, awesome. You know, a great example is, you know, last year, Marvin Harrison and Mecca and Jane Ballard did a phenomenal job individually, you know, spending extra time and doing those things. And then, you know, the learning curve felt like less. It really comes from person to person, uh, Schlegs, you know, surrounded by our coaching staff and surrounded by the players in their own room. They have a lot of resources and, and you know, it really comes down to the individual to, to curve that learning curve. That's awesome. Well, I, I hear it come through in the language you've used throughout this, that you have some very specific coaching cues too, that that language is something you're probably installing from day one, right? That you want to be efficient with that too. They're not up there thinking in, in paragraphs. They're thinking in coaching cues, just like what you're spitting out at them. We try to, yeah, that's, that's idea. Word synapses are like, you know, like you're saying keywords to kind of help us there. Quick sayings, we'll try to do that. But the mental recall is critical. Yep, absolutely. Pre-snap plan, post-snap execution, best problem solvers are your best wide receivers. I wrote something else down. This is awesome, Brian. I appreciate it, bro. Yeah, man. I, I, I mean, it's a lot of fun. You know, it's a lot. Actually, you know, you know, like it's a lot of it's a lot that goes into it. And frankly, come on now. When I got into coaching, I never thought in a million years this is you know where my brain would go and how things would go. You never do. You can never anticipate. It's like you know, being a head coach or being a position coach, you know, like being a father, like you think, you know, but you really don't know until you do it. And the best ones are probably the ones that can adapt the fastest, run the fastest and, uh, and grow the fastest, you know, whether it be a father or whether you be a head coach, whether you be a position coach, I think that it all translates pretty, pretty awesome. Anthony, I appreciate you setting this up and Brian, appreciate you taking time. I know you uh, guys are going to be kicking some things off here soon. So your time is valuable, but we certainly appreciate you taking the time and helping coaches out here. I appreciate it. I'm glad you reached out. I'm glad I, you know, made the list legs. Thanks buddy. Yeah, no problem, dog. <laughs> Thanks man. Thanks Keith. All right. Thank you guys. Thank you again for listening to the Difference Maker series on the Coaching Coordinator Podcast presented by The Difference USA. Go to thedifferenceusa.com and check out all they have to offer in their equipment for the weight room. I promise you, I see this around the country, this drill being used on the field and being done in the weight room, and I think it's an outstanding drill to prepare your players for the season and beyond. Again, go to thedifferenceusa.com. If you're purchasing, use the code TDUSA5 to receive a 5% discount. And thank you again to Anthony Schlegel for arranging this and getting us our guest for the Difference Maker series. Follow all we're doing at coachandcoordinator.com and follow us on Twitter at Coach K. Grabowski.